on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you our biggest questions for OU as they start spring practice. Then Dallin Cuff joins us to preview the Sweet 16, and we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, March 22nd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of March, all you got to do is visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now, recording this on Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. And Ted Lehman, it is spring football time in Oklahoma. Let's go, baby. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's finally here, already here. I don't know what to say. Sometimes it feels like uh, the season just ended yesterday. Other times it feels like it was a lifetime ago. But that's right. It's here, and it's a big spring for him, man. It really is massive spring. And for me, it feels like it got here quickly, which yeah. is a good thing because that means that that means the fall is coming quickly, typically. And that means we can forget about last season as quick <laughs> as possible. Right. <laughs> Once exactly. they start playing games, we got something new to talk about when it comes to football. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'm sure it's the same with those players, right? ready to get back out there and, and put some new stuff on film. So, yeah. All right. Let's, let's touch on what Brent Venables had to say in his press conference, right? He always does a press conference leading into spring football. Now we can't recap the whole thing, but there are some big takeaways and wanted to start here. He made the hiring of Seth Luttrell as an offensive analyst official Ted, I can only imagine how fired you are, how fired up you are about that one, man. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, Seth is an uh, incredible dude, man. Uh, I've known Seth for a really long time, was um, a guy that I really looked up to whenever I was young and, and growing up. I, he was he was a stud football player at Muskogee High, and uh, my parents went to school with his parents, and uh, got to hear stories about his dad, Jimmy Latrell, and 
yeah, it just uh, always, always kind of held Seth into a, a super high regard and was a great player, captain on the national championship football team, um, you know, started GA at Oklahoma, started his career as a coach there under Coach Stoops and, um, you know, went with Mangino to Kansas, spent time with uh, Leach at Tech and has done some really good things as a, as a coach. And it's awesome to have him back, man. I I love everything about it. Now, I hate that Seth was let go at North Texas, and a lot of people disagreed with that decision that they made, but he's an Oklahoma guy. He loves OU, right? It, it's in his blood, man, right? Muskogee's finest. And you, you mentioned the coaching track record. I, I think it is always great to have a guy that has that has learned from those types of coaches, but has also had a ton of head coaching experience, right? He brings a new set of eyes, some new thoughts, some new ideas, but also that dude's a certified badass. <laughs> yeah. And as many of those types of guys you could have around Ted, I, I think he is a, he is a tone setting type of dude. Yep. No, I, I think it's awesome to have him there. Um, probably see how his role is going to kind of unfold probably be a, a right hand for Levy in the beginning. I think he's going to be with the quarterbacks uh, throughout the spring and probably just see how that role develops for him. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what it ends up looking like now. Also, James Skalski, that, that became official as well with Brent Venables putting that out there in his press conference. But we, we've talked about that before and you and I, we, we both really like that addition as well. Okay. One of the one of the unfortunate parts of Brent Venable's press conference is the injury report, right? Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few guys that are going to miss spring. Uh, we knew Jacob Sexton was going to miss spring with the ACL tear there in the bowl game. Walter Rouse, that was known, right, with, with the shoulder. Emeka Megwa seems like he's dealing with something. You know, got to get that knee cleaned out. McCarty got hurt late in his high school season, the two that I would describe as less than ideal are Caden Helms and Jason Llewellyn. Mm -hmm. I, I was really hoping both of those guys would get some valuable reps. And now that, that really, that really limits what you can do from a spring practice perspective, because you just don't have many tight ends, man. Yeah. Numbers are down there for sure after uh, losing several guys, you know. But, yeah, the, the transfer from A&M is, is going to help a little bit there. But, yeah, Stogner is uh, – he should know the offense well by the end of spring. Uh, going to be taking a ton of reps, and they'll be working some of the um, – you know, they've got a couple walk-on guys at that spot too. But, you know, it's interesting. Like, we were a team that ran a ton of 12 personnel, and I'm sure they're going to continue to do it. Uh, through spring, but you know, personnel-wise, may not give you uh, a realistic look of, of what that's going to be in the future. But you just got to hope that those guys get healthy and get back because that that's one of the key positions that you know we're kind of I don't know question mark. However, you want to phrase it, looking into next season, can we replicate the production we got out of that group last year? Yeah, and just we we talked extensively about how important Braden Willis was to that football team in 2022. And, and Daniel Parker, he he did do some good things. I, I thought he got a little better as the season progressed. But 
in spring practice, you're hoping, or at least uh, unless things have changed, you're hoping to like go and go split the fields, getting double the reps, right? Maximizing your time out there on the practice field. And I, I know Levy likes likes to specialize in eleven personnel, anyways. But man, say a prayer for those tight ends. <laughs> That's gonna be that is gonna be very very rough. Those guys. I would say by the end of spring, those guys are going to be a great, great football shape. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, it's having seen the practices before, they're going to be physical, right? They're going to be grinders. They're going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of full contact. And that means like game, game type intensity, taking guys to the ground. Um, it's, it's going to be physical. So, you know, we'll get some good. We'll we'll develop a little bit of depth there for sure with with those guys out. But man, I, that's the thing, man. You just gotta. You hate missing some of these players, but it does give other guys some opportunities to develop behind them. Um, in case you know the worst case scenario is out there, and you don't don't get everyone back at full full speed whenever you need to. Right, and and a guy like Walter Rouse missing is one thing. Right, guys played yeah. a ton of football at Stanford. You, you kind of know what the floor is for him, right? You kind of know what you're getting. I just, I, I hate it for a guy like Caden Helms. I know, right? Especially he's kind of a different body type that they don't really have. Like, could he be that move tight end? Could they implement some different type of stuff for him because he's just kind of a giant wide receiver? Mm-hmm. That, that's where I look at it, man. And I, I feel like it limits what Jeff Lebby can can do like from a creativity perspective because a guy that is kind of a different chess piece for you isn't available for spring and you don't get a ton of time in training camp anymore. Spring is really one of those times where you learn a lot about those young guys and the progress that they've made. So I look at him in particular and I go, dang it, because th- they expressed some excitement. You know, when we talked to Joe John about him last year, and and what he can do as far as being a a pass catching threat in the offense, but uh, I I'm not going to overreact too much. I just I feel like he was one of those guys that I was really excited. Just talking about Helms, he was one of those guys I was really excited to see in spring out there to see what the progress looked like. And it, it's really unfortunate he's got to miss the entirety of the spring. Yeah, nope, I hate it for him and. Uh... You know, it's it's tough. Obviously, they're going to continue to do the things that they do offensively and the things that they plan to do had even those guys been healthy. You just, you know, you just got to coach your way through it and say, you know, and, and understand that it's just going to look a little bit different than whenever we have the personnel that we want. So until that point, you just got to kind of take it as it is and and hope that you get some good development from the guys that are down the roster a little bit. Yeah. Right now, Caden Helms, no no section on the the feed the stud column mm. for Levy. No. Haven't been able to see enough, probably. But hey, I remain optimistic. What last thing I wanted to touch on from Venable's press conference. I just thought that this one sentence pretty much summed it up. He said, I expect us to be on another planet defensively. Yeah. I I do too. I, I, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons why, you know, number one, I just expect everyone to be able to, 
like the, the base they're starting with here in spring is so far advanced from where they were a year ago. The the main thing that really hampered them last year, like we had some good players, we had some good athletes. We just didn't have a very good understanding of the defense and and how to run it, where we fit. You know, like that that was our Achilles heel a year ago. That should be that should be so much better this year. And I think you got a good chance that you're going to be adding some uh, big time defensive playmakers, difference makers. Yeah. So that just that was just perfect for Vittables, though. I expect us to be on another planet defensively. So that that starts. He he's talking about the fall people. So that starts yeah. now, right? He, he he's talking about the results that they're going to get in the fall. So that starts with this work out there on the practice field in spring practice. Okay. Spring ball has started. What are our biggest questions with spring ball starting for this team? You and I, we, we've done this before. We do not compare lists. I just tell you, Hey, this is what we're doing. What's your, what's and what, let's do three, our three biggest questions. What, what's number one for you? Number one for me. And, I, I, this is in order for me. I think this is the biggest question. Um, you can, you can frame it however you want offensive line, run game, whatever. Like we, we have number one, we're missing some important players from the offensive line from a year ago. Right. Um, we are trying to rotate some different guys in there, trying to find out who exactly that's going to be. But the biggest thing is, like we have to become more explosive on the line of scrimmage. And, and you talked about it a ton last year, you know, especially interior offensive line was solid was like, as far as responsibility, kind of checking the box, but we weren't moving people, right? Like to me, that's the biggest thing. If you want this offense to be fully capable, to be really like hitting full stride, We've got to be able to move people off the ball. And like, I think everyone got frustrated. I know I did with some of the constant tempo stuff that we were doing. One of the reasons we're doing that is because if we don't go tempo, they didn't feel very confident that we could just straight up line up and, and push people off the football. Like to me, that has to change. And I honestly, I feel really good about it. With what I saw from Savion Bird, um, with with what I expect from the from the big kid transfer from Miami of Ohio, three hundred thirty five pounder, I expect Rame, who maybe has some more physical guys on each side of him, perhaps that he's going to be able to to take his game to a next level, and then obviously tackle. Like we're not going to get Rouse out there, but we'll be able to develop some depth there. But big spring for Guyton. Like to me, offensive line. And specifically the run game and being physical and being road graders, to me, that is something that I'm eyeing this spring big time. I that is, believe it or not, that is not on my list because I figured you were gonna do it. <laughs> but I I completely agree. And and one of the things that I've been thinking about is can Bill Beatonbow get can Bill Beatonbow get his most talented guys? to be his best players, right? Because you look at some of 
you, you look at the ceilings of a couple of these guys, like Tyler Guyton's ceiling is a top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. Can Bill get him there? Right? You you look at Savion Bird. Savion Bird is one of the most athletic, nasty offensive guards that you'll find in the country. Can he add the proper weight? Can he put the work in? Can Bill get him to his ceiling? Because the guy has, he's got first-round athleticism. Yeah. Now, there's not a lot of offensive guards that go in the first round, right? But can Bill get him there? Like you, I I know what Matoyer's, I know what I'm going to get from him, right? He's not not some explosive athlete. Uh, And it's unfortunate that Rouse is missing the spring because he doesn't get that that skill development. Now he still gets the mental development with Bill in the meeting room, which is one of Bill's greatest strengths. But Andrew Raymond's time, man. Mm-hmm. That's right. He should be a game. He, he should be a day two guy. He should be at the, at the worst. He should be a third round draft pick. He's got that type of physical talent. Got to put it all together. And you got to stay healthy. Yep. Who's the third tackle going to be? Right. There there are important questions that need to be answered. Like what is Jake Taylor, who's an extremely physically gifted guy, is he going to challenge for playing time on the field? I we'll see what Caleb Schaefer looks like. Right? He's played a lot of ball, big physical guy. I feel like I pretty much know what I'm going to get from him, but I think I think Beatenbow, the challenge for him in the spring and then heading into the fall is like, can you get your most physically gifted athletes? to be your best players. Right. Yeah. It's not always the easiest thing. No doubt. Well, and you know, there's, let's not forget Caden green um, is coming in. They've talked about him and you never know if it's just podium talk whenever they're introducing the new class or not, but you know, they, they have said that they want to see if he can factor in probably going to be in the interior and, It'll be a sink or swim spring for that guy with, with how thin they are numbers wise with the injuries. Yep. We're going to find out what that kid's made of real quick. Yep. Yeah. And there's some other, you know, Josh Bates and there's some other youngsters that are going to be there and, and we'll see what they have. But to me, like we, we have to develop like, obviously like this coming season is big, but as we transit transition to the sec, we have to become a more physical offensive line and a, a less of a position blocking type of group. All right, we've got to transition out of that. And I like what you always say, like, we've got to be able to play with some velocity. And, and that's, I think that's to me, that is number one, this, this spring above like everything it. else. I like it. All right. Number one for me, and it's, it's kind of cliche, but I don't care. Because you were one of these guys, I was one of these guys, but leadership. Coaches play a massive role in developing great teams, but I believe and will always believe that the best teams are player-driven. Your quarterback's got to be a leader, right? So Dylan Gabriel, he has to embrace more of that, even more. And I know know he's got that chill demeanor, right? But can't be chill all the time, man. Not after going six and seven. So so how does he adjust? Right? Now that he's been there, now that he knows the program, he's the face of the team. So, and it's not just about what you say, 
It's about how you play. And that includes how you play on the field in spring ball. So I, I think the best way to lead is to show up every single day, put the work in and play well on the practice field. But then who's going to lead the defense? Danny Stutzman, it's time to make the jump. Right there, there's just the natural leadership that is built into that position. Got to make the jump. I love the interview clips. They're great, man. He's killing it. I love it. But it's time to be the leader of the defense. You got to take control of that defense. And that all starts with what you do on the field in spring ball. Do your teammates know that you know it inside and out and that they can trust you to go make plays and to get them lined up? Same thing. I'd, who's going to be the leader on the offensive line? Andrew Rame, it should be you. You're the center. It's just how it works, man. But you got to go out there, get everyone in the right spot, and play well in spring. So I just, I, I look at the leadership piece of this, and that's a huge part of building a great team. I, I know what Dylan Gabriel, I feel like I have a good idea of his leadership style, but other dudes need to step up and lead this team. It can't just be Venables and all the sayings and all the energy and him being in guys, but like players have to lead. And I know last year they said, hey, we've got all kinds of leaders here that listen. Sometimes you can have too many. I need a couple damn dudes mm -hmm. to take control of this thing where everyone answers to that guy. Because all the good teams I've been on through the years, there were only a couple of those guys. There weren't eight of them. There weren't 10 of them. There were three or four of them. Yep. I'm there interested to be. see who those guys will be. I, it, it's almost like a, a fallacy, right, to have leaders. I, you need one. You need the tip of the spear, right? You need the dude. Now, you can have, like, defensively, you're, there's going to be a guy in the secondary. There's going to be a guy, you know, linebackers are going to be a guy. Uh, on the defensive line, like you're going to segment it up a little bit, but whenever we're out there on the field, there's 11 on O, 11 on D. There's there's got to be one dude that gets everyone lined up, that tells everyone to shut up in the huddle. That I, you listen to what I say, whether I'm right or wrong, you don't worry about that. You just you just do what I say. We'll worry about the rest later. And I think you know a big part of that. It's hard to do that whenever you, you just don't really know. Right. Like Dylan Gabriel came in last year. Like I know everyone expected him to know this offense front and back, but it was it was it's different offense than he had under Levy. It's a different offense he had the year previous. Now he's comfortable with it. He's more comfortable with the players. And I think it's his leadership is more organic than last year. You're the quarterback. You're supposed to be the leader, right? And it's like just kind of this false thing. But I expect it to be organic and real, and it's also going to help that he's got a a young young buck behind him, five star quarterback that's probably going to be making some great plays out there, and you know there's going to be that voice inside him that says you better step up and grab this thing, and and that's natural, and that's I expect that to come out. I'm with you. All right, what what do you have as number two on your list? <laughs> I put where's the freaks, right? This is Oklahoma. It's been too long since 
you've been able to look out there on the field, whether it's an offense or a defense, and and see like NFL bodies out there. Okay. And transitioning into the spring, there's gonna be some guys, right? Sean McCullough on defense, he's six foot five, gonna be be out there covering the slot. Okay. Um Adabare as a as a freshman coming in. Or Mason Thomas, they released the the new roster yesterday, six foot four, two hundred or uh, six foot two, two hundred and forty pounds. Like he's put on almost twenty pounds of, of muscle. Uh, you know, we we need some size offensively. We we've we've been productive, but it's been too long that we've been going up against six foot four, six foot five wide receivers. Now finally, we've got a room full of them. Nick Anderson listed on the new roster, six foot four, two hundred and twelve pounds. I mean. That's Quentin Johnston's size. That was at TCU last year, right? Um, we know how big Jaden Gibson is. Like, we need these athletes not just to be a guy that's off the bus first and listed on the roster. Those guys need to be on the field and be our main playmakers. Like, to me, like, we, we, you, you want to be a team that is, you know, you're, you're developing guys, like, you're recruiting close to home, but – you you can't win a national championship without the freaks, right? We need the freaks, and they don't not just on the sideline. They need to be making plays. So to me, that's what I'm looking for this spring. Is do some of these guys that have the the height, the weight, the measurables, all the things that we've always heard of, are they going to actually start make, be making plays for us this spring? That's all I'm looking for. Do we have the creatures? Right. We need the creatures. Mm-hmm. And if we it and if you go through spring ball and you realize you don't have enough of them, you got to go find more. <laughs> yep. Which leads to number two on my list. It, perfect transition, Ted. It's like we do this a lot together. Do we have any dudes at wide receiver? And, and there's a difference between a a good player, a really good player, and then an absolute dude. Is Jalil Farouk one of those guys? Jaden Gibson, what are you, man? What are you? Nick Anderson, you look like a million bucks. Got to go make plays. It. I don't really care how you look now. I want you to be big and fast and strong and look good in New Jersey. But I want guys to go make plays, damn it. Andrell Anthony. We all, we, we've seen some of the highlights in Michigan, man. Let's go. Are you a dude or are you just a guy? Basically, I'm wondering, in that room, do we have any guys that are potentially first-round picks? Because those are the types of guys you need. Early-round draft picks that go and produce. It's not that they just can jump high and run fast. They got to make plays. And there's a lot of things that are tied into the passing game being successful. I know that. right? I completely understand that. But sometimes you just got to call a play for one guy and he's got to go make a damn play. Do we have that guy? I know you want to run the ball. I know that's what Levy wants to do, but football is about explosive plays in the passing game now. That's the sport. And you've got Emmett Jones in there, new set of eyes, new voice, probably some new thoughts, techniques, concepts. 
what can he get out of these guys? Is he the guy to turn Farouk into that type of guy? Is he the guy that can, right? We didn't see Jaden Gibson at all. Nope. Can he get him on track and set him up for a breakout year? Like, do we have game-changing players at wide receiver? We'll find out. And if we don't, just like you said about the freaks, you got to go find them. Yep. I mean, you you can say what you want. Uh, wide receiver is usually the last thing that I talk about because, you know, I, I feel like there's a million things that have to happen before wide receiver. But here's the – this is the – this is the facts. In this day and age, in this game, you've got to have the playmakers on the outside. It's It's not an accident whenever you look at Ohio State when you look at Alabama, when you look at Georgia, when you look at TCU last year, the difference makers on the outside, you you if you've got a guy that's six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds, and can outmuscle guys, can outrun guys, can run through tackles on the perimeter, can run great routes, it makes everyone else look a whole lot better. All right. So I that I totally agree. And and this is one of the things like Mims. He's been our most productive receiver for several years now. He's gone. Like we don't have a whole lot. Like I like Jalil Farouk. I, you know he he showed some really nice things last year. I think he's great with the ball in his hands. But catch the ball. We got a big void there. You know, there's there's over a thousand yards that we got to replace. And I'm 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 with you. Who's going to step up and take it? There's tons of capable bodies in there. JJ Hester, six foot four. 200 pounds, supposed to be like an unbelievable athlete. Let's see it. No excuses. It, it's not just about running fast and jumping high and your height and weight. It's about being a damn player, man. That's yeah. why we, a lot of people have these, you know, these conversations. Who are the best three, four wide receivers ever played OU? I put Ryan Broyles on my list every time. Because guess what? Before he blew his knee out, all the dude did was go make plays. Go catch the damn ball and rack up yards. Yep. We Can't need guys. Production. We need guys that produce. Yes, I want them to run fast and jump high and look great in a jersey. But I want guys that will go out and make some damn plays. So that's number two on my list. What do you got? What do you got as number three? Well, this ties back into your leadership a little bit, uh, but it's it's all focused right at Dylan Gabriel, quarterback. Um, I think year one for Dylan Gabriel, year one at Oklahoma, was solid. It was not great. If, if we want to be the type of team that we all talk about, a playoff team, a national championship caliber team, we have to have excellent quarterback play. I think he's capable. He needs to be he's, – he's extremely accurate at times. He needs to be extremely accurate always. Now, I, I know that you're, you're going to miss throws. Like, I understand that. But there were times where he just – you can't afford to miss a throw. And you had wide open guys that we just – we airballed. We can't do that. I think he's going to be better there. He took too many sacks last year, right? Uh, you know – 
some of that offensive line, yes, but there are times when Levy's trying to move the pocket for him. You know, like like the bowl game, whenever they had offensive line issues, guys opting out, took an injury early in the game. They're trying to move the pocket, and he's still taking some sacks out there. I think some of that comes from not being able to see it great and, you know, not being super confident in, in knowing the offense. And sometimes it's trust, trusting your players to go make plays. But he's got to be better, not taking any sacks. And he's got to be great in the run game, quarterback run game. I That's, to me, is going to be one of the big things that takes this offense to the next level. But, you know, all eyes are on Dylan Gabriel. And like I said, he's got the five-star young stud behind him. I think that's going to push him. I think that's going to be good for him. But like, this is a big spring for him to really solidify himself. Like, in my opinion, it shouldn't be close. He should be the best quarterback in the Big 12 next year by a million miles. When you when you look at the teams, it, let's let's not get it twisted. The expectation for Oklahoma football is still win the Big 12 and go to the college football playoff. I know what the record was last year. I don't care. The expectation does not change. And you, when you look at teams, look at the teams that were in playoff contention and the guys that were Heisman Trophy finalists, you, you need that type of guy in college football now. You, you need that type of guy. You need that. You know, C.J. Stroud, it, I know a lot of people poke fun at Setson Bennett. Guy was a damn good player, okay? Caleb Williams, what he did at USC carrying that team. Right, Bryce Young. That's the, that's the type of guy it takes. Is Dylan Gabriel that guy? He's I, got some limitations. He's got some limitations. Yeah, but so, so does Stetson Bennett. So does Bryce Young. Like, they're not totally agree. massive dudes. Totally agree. He's got some limitations size-wise. He's got some limitations perhaps athletically. But the ceiling for him is way above what we saw last year. And I don't think – I'm not saying last year was bad. I thought he had a good, solid year last year. But he can perform much better, and I expect him to perform much better. Solid doesn't take you to the playoff. That's right. Solid doesn't win Big 12 titles. It just – that's just the truth. All right, my last one. Desan McCullough, I'm just curious. I know. Uh, where is he going to play, right? We know he's starting at Cheetah. What, 6'5", just under 225 pounds. Is, as spring goes on, is is the Cheetah spot the spot that makes the most sense for him and makes the most sense for this team, for this defense? Or do other guys emerge at that spot and maybe it makes, makes more sense for him to play closer to the line of line of scrimmage more consistently I don't know does Venables change how that cheetah position predominantly functions because of McCullough's ability to rush the passer I don't know I have so many questions about Desan McCullough and what it's going to look like him what it's going to look like for him in Brent Venables defense there's so much hype there's so much excitement is he one of those kind of foundational program-type changing players? I don't know, but that's one of my biggest questions for OU in spring. Like, what do they find out about where he fits best, what he does best, and 
what he ultimately means for this defense. Boy, I, you know, you go back to that quote from Venables that you mentioned, I expect us to be on another planet defensively. Well, a lot of that depends on this kid, unfortunately for him, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, I guess. Um, that position is, it's a cornerstone. They ask so much of it. Um, you know, frankly, I, I think I think sometimes a lot, maybe too much is made of it, but I, it's not all of that difficult. I actually think like mentally, it's incredibly easy. Actually, it's way easier than playing inside linebacker to me. Uh, but his athleticism gives us a lot more range and a lot more ability than what we had there last year. I love Deshaun White, but you know, he's playing out of position because we didn't really have uh, a body or a guy that we could trust there consistently. Um, Deshaun McCullough should take that to the next level. He's got way more length and, you know, just positioning, first of all, lining up out there. It's going to be different whenever you're a slot receiver and you're lining up and there's a 6'4", 220-pounder lined up on you. It's, it's going to be strange. Um, but he's a great blitzer. You know, he's going to have some great range covering. He can eat what I've seen. He tackles well, but he's going to be in space a lot. Um, that's something he's going to have to improve on or or develop as a real strong uh, tool for himself. But I'm excited about it. If if he can line up right, if he can blitz whenever he's supposed to blitz and cover when he's supposed to cover, he's going to be just fine. I I don't know. That's that's the fun part. I I'm very optimistic, but it's just man, it's just gonna be interesting to see what it looks like. Well, uh, just to add something else, and I know we've hit this before, but I expect that position. I think about the bodies that we're playing there. Deshaun McCall is six five. Justin Harrington is going to play some there too, and he was listed yesterday at like six three two twenty. Something like that, two eighteen, maybe something like that. He's a big, incredibly athletic dude, and uh, you got Pearson, the safety that's played a ton of ball, great tackler from Tech. Um, uh, Peyton Bowen, the the five star safety, playing some there too. Like, there's a bunch of guys, so that gives you the ability on pass rush downs, third and long that you can move Deshaun McCullough around if he's that dude and use him rushing the pass or some. Yeah. And then as far as those other guys, are they guys or are they dudes? Mm -hmm. There's, there is a very big difference. So I, it's a massive spring for this program for Brent Venables. I know you and I will both get out to quite a few practices uh, throughout spring ball, and it's just it, – it's exciting, but I'm also, in a weird way, a little nervous about everything. <laughs> right, yeah. So, all right, let's get to call your shot. And we asked you guys, what are your what's your biggest question as though you get started here in spring practice? Bradley Worthington chimes in with, can this team learn to play complimentary football? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I know that uh, BV addressed that in his press conference. But 
as much as you think you can work on playing complimentary football in practice, I, I don't know if you know you're a complimentary football team until you start playing games in the fall, Ted. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I, there's really not a way I guess to practice complimentary football, like complimentary football to me, just, it boils down to guys making the play they're supposed to, to make, making the block, executing the motion or the shift or like whatever it is, just doing your job. I hate to boil it down to that, you know, cause that gets thrown a lot around a lot, do your job. But I mean, that's, that's all that complimentary football is. It's the offense taking advantage of their breaks, of their opportunities, execution. Same thing on defense. Execute, get off the field, get the football back for your offense. It's There's no like real secret formula or dance that you have to perform for everything to be in concert other than just do the things you're supposed to do. Make plays. Make plays. Make plays. Both sides of the ball. Make plays. Yeah. Do your job. I mean, that's it. Like our timing last year could not have been worse as a team on when, when to malfunction. Oh my gosh. And one of the things sometimes we overcomplicate football can guys on both sides of the ball, especially on the line of scrimmage. Hey, sometimes the sport is just, Hey, it's me versus you, pal. Mm Got to whoop the other guy's ass. That's it. That's football. So can we get more guys that when they line up, they look across from them and go, I am about to whoop your ass. That goes a long way in this sport, man. A long way. And that you want to be a complimentary football team, get as many guys on the field with that mentality and that are able to go do it. That's possible. Simple game. And I totally agree. And I honestly think that our problem last year was for the most part, we didn't know who's asked to go whoop, right? (laughs) You win your one-on-one battles. I think, I think a big portion of it was trying to define where the one-on-one battle is. Right. And I I think we're going to be so far ahead of that at at this point um, after that, that rough year one. So, but I do agree hundred percent. All right. Birthday shout outs time. Happy fourth birthday to Addison Stambaugh. Happy fifth birthday to Star War Legos master, Witten Cooper. Star War Legos master. (laughs) I like that. Happy ninth birthday to Huck Tiger Gregory. I like that. Happy 17th birthday to Tony Ballinger. Happy 35th birthday to Tim Shirley. Happy 36th birthday to Matt Byford. And happy 50th birthday to Matt Fomby Johnson. Awesome. All right, let's talk a little March Madness with ESPN's Dallin Cuff. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon across the country. The Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals and can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, 
Be sure to download the Loves Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Loves Travel Stops. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Amore. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise and is the best place to get your OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. Their food is fantastic, and it's the perfect spot to watch any big game. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. All right, here's a Sweet 16 preview with our man Dallin Cuff. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man who you, you've seen his beautiful face all over ESPN as an in-studio analyst. You hear him on SiriusXM Radio, and probably most importantly, he is responsible for getting me some free Hanes underwear last year. <laughs> Dallin Cuff is in the house. What's going on, man? Long time no see. It's been a minute. Uh, good talk with you guys, and I'm um, happy for your Hanes. That's, that's great. I'm doing what I can. Yeah. I, I, listen, I love free stuff, and Ted <laughs> – uh Dallin and I were doing so, some radio together and he just we started talking about underwear randomly and about a week later some free underwear appeared in my mailbox. How about that? Amazing. That's 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 why we do this, right? Exactly. Free, free stuff. Underwear. Free stuff. Your boys need your boys need a home, as Cosmo Kramer famously said. So we're good. Uh, that's great. There you go. All right, let's get into it, man. I know you're busy right now. Let, let's start with Thursday. Look, looking at that East region. Michigan State, Kansas State, I cannot wait for this game. I love this matchup, but Marquise Dewell going back to New York City, that he is a dude. Do you, do you think do you think Izzo can pull it off, right? Uh, there weren't a ton of high expectations for the Spartans mm-hmm. heading in the tournament, but they're favored in this one. They are favored. Uh, let's just start there. I do like Kansas State on the money line. I think Kansas State is, is, is the better team, and we look at their resume – have better wins against tougher competition, but the brand name Michigan State carries, and Vegas knows that. Just like Kentucky was the the favorite by three points against K-State, I think that was a brand name favorite. I think that's the same thing with Michigan State. That said, Michigan State can obviously win the game, but if they defend well, and to your point, if they take Marquise Noel out of the game, then Kansas State can struggle to score, and that that can be a bit of a problem. That said, Michigan State really struggles to score at times, and if they rely on making two-point jump shots, so they did early in that game against Marquette, that plays to the hands of the Wildcats. Uh, so I, I like them in that game, but I think it's a very entertaining game. And anybody can come out of the East region. I'm just leaning to K-State in terms of that game. How much does the uh, – we hear this all the time, and I, and I know it's a talking point, but Michigan State obviously has, has as a program, has a, a big history in, in the tournament, right? It's mm-hmm. got a, a long history. How much does that really matter? Is, is that overblown? Is it, is it the talent on the floor, or does that tradition, does that history actually factor in? Well, the coaching really factors in the tournament. I mean, obviously, it matters in-game, but it's that quick turnaround, Thursday to Sunday, Saturday or Friday to Sunday, that you prepare your team real quick. You get them to scout. What do they need to know? How do they need to get it? How can it be digestible? Also, are you, are you, detracting, are you extracting what needs to be done with your coaching staff to even translate that to your players? Like, that's, 
where the coaching element really comes into play. That said, this is a four-day prep, five-day prep, and these teams are going to be ready to go. So I think it's not as big a deal. And the history of the stuff doesn't matter. Like just like if the if the teams that didn't win, like haven't won against people would say we haven't won there since twenty years ago. That, who cares? Those kids were two. Like it doesn't. They weren't even born. Like it doesn't make a difference. Now in recent history, if you've struggled in the tournament, you've played in it, and you struggled, and you've played certain teams that you've struggled. That stuff translates. Um, which this group is a little different there. So I don't think the history plays in so much. Um, like I said, I think it's baked into the lines and baked into the narrative. But as far as players, uh, not so much. And the coaches, I think both staffs, but this is not the quick turnaround, which Izzo, I think it's like 24 and 7 in the quick turnaround games. So there is something to that. He doesn't bear. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. Right. So sounds like you like the Wildcats in that mm-hmm. one. The other game in the East is FAU versus Tennessee, which if FAU wouldn't have tried to dunk it at the end of that FDU game, they, they'd probably be everyone's favorite favorite and everyone would be cheering for him in the tournament. But I, my number one question for this game is we, we saw what Tennessee did to do, right? Mm-hmm. And partially the refs let him do it to do. Yeah. But do you think FAU can hold up to the physicality that Tennessee brings? How the game is officiated will be huge, as you mentioned. I mean, there was a there was a, ba- a football match, a football game, and a basketball game broke out on, on a court. Basically, it was going on there the other day. That said, Tennessee Olivia Kumwa was great. Made a ton of shots when they went zone. Duke went zone to protect Jeremy Roach. They exploited it after a couple possessions. They settled in, so they played very well and they played their game. FAU has better, not better guards, but just more mature dudes. Like physically, that's where Duke lost that that, that battle. Physically, the guys couldn't stand up to it. I think FAU has a better chance. I still like Tennessee in this game. I'm not touching the line. I, I do think you're probably, if I'm playing, I would probably lean toward the Owls plus five and a half. I think it's probably going to be a, a low possession type game. Um, but because in Tennessee can really struggle to score two at times. I, I just don't We'll watch the game. We'll see how it goes. I ultimately think the Vols win and what will be probably a pretty heinous matchup in terms of the, in terms of the actual aesthetics of the game. Yeah. Do you, do you think anyone from the East, like, I know you think Kansas State comes out of there, but any real threats for the overall tournament from the East? I mean, once you get what, yeah, anybody can do it. Like we've seen that there's, there's no, like Alabama has separated a little bit through the course of the year, you know, of course, the, of course the season for sure, but they, their performances left through the tournament have been very, have been solid. Um, but anybody can beat anybody this year. We've already seen that there is no dominant team. Obviously Tennessee beat Alabama. So if Tennessee comes out of this thing, they were home and they beat them earlier in the season, the SEC. Um, but if they, if they face off again, that's that familiarity, familiarity that you know the team is important. Also, the, the way to beat Alabama is to get up in them and be physical, particularly Brandon Miller. And Tennessee, again, does that better than most. And Tennessee forced, I think it was like 20-plus turnovers in that game the first time they met. So if, if they come out, that's probably the worst thing for Alabama. And those of us that have Alabama you know, winning it all or even Alabama to, to get to the final. I played that pre-tournament at like plus 400 or something like that. Um, so that's not ideal for those of us that are on that side of the things either. But, um, but yeah, anybody's capable of doing it. Tennessee probably poses the most threat to actually winning a Final Four, team, four, Final four game. But I say that, but Kansas State would have some interesting matchups as well as, as with Michigan State. All of them are capable. Anybody listening can probably, at this point, tell that uh, Dallin likes to put a few shekels <laughs> on these shekels. games, which I, I love when he adds that stuff into, into his analysis. Now, the other, the other region in action on Thursday is the West region. And dude, I uh, I, I think Arkansas UConn has mm-hmm. the potential to be the game of the week uh, in, in the NCAA tournament. I, I picked UConn to win it all. I like how that team is built, but there is no doubt that Arkansas has the athletes. The question is, hey, can they hit enough shots? Right. Yep. 
And you're dead right. Like they got they got athletes and got pros. Arkansas has, and UConn's got athletes and they got some pros. And that and that's that. Both those teams. I think you're absolutely right. And that is the most anticipated game on the docket for me. I think you're going to see a game that can be played at an up and down tempo. Guys that can make shots, can make plays, can score in the interior and the exterior. If it gets into a half court game, teams can still execute through that. Like there's just both those teams can score in different ways and be versatile in terms of how they play. Both are very good defensively, so they're going to challenge everybody. Sometimes challenge you at the rim, and sometimes on the perimeter. So I think it's. It's a very evenly matched game. UConn's laying three and a half points. It's another game that I'm not, I'm not betting that game because I think it might be a live play situation as you see how that game unfolds in the first 10 minutes of the game. Um, but the, the, I think it's going to be a highly entertaining game. I ultimately have UConn winning that. of UConn playing Gonzaga in my lead eight before, I thought UConn would be beating, playing Kansas, but they're not. Um, but I still think UConn's team, guys, you, you've heard this thrown around. I've said it for the last couple of years now as, it's, as it continues to hold true. The top 22 in offensive and defensive efficiency per Ken Pomp have won the last five years. You had to be in that top 22. UConn's one of those teams. Texas is one of those teams. Creighton, Alabama. Those are the four teams left in the, in the tournament now that have that, that recipe, if you will, so four of the 16. Um, and I do think that you're, you're going to see a high-level UConn team that's capable of winning the national championship. But can they get through Arkansas? It's a matter of can they make them take enough contested shots? And does the inexperience of Arkansas um, show up, which it didn't against Kansas? Kansas made some inexperienced plays late. Arkansas did not. What's, what's been the difference with Arkansas? I think a lot of people would, would say that they had kind of a disappointing regular season, mm-hmm. but here they are. They, you know, knocked off Kansas, as you mentioned, and probably going to uh, be a great game with you. What's, what's been the difference with them? If anything, maybe they just have, have put a couple of really good games together. That's health. They, I mean, Nick Smith's a top 10 pick. They didn't have him for the majority of the year. Uh, they had other injuries throughout the course of the season that the guys were in and out of the lineup. Obviously, Trayvon Brazil never came back, which when he tore his ACL, we knew he wasn't coming back. But they've they've dealt with a lot, and now they've they've found their, their ability to gel down the stretch and have guys they can rely on, they believe, and guys that are kind of filling in their roles and finding their place and finding their footing, especially for a freshman like Nick Smith that I think has played maybe maybe 10 games. Um, he's really still trying to figure it out, and he's not, he's not one of necessarily key guys. He doesn't get a ton of minutes. I think he played 20 minutes in the last game. But he's kind of indicative of where their team is. They're trying to still find their way. And they have a lot of talent. The one thing they do do is defend. They guard so they can keep themselves in any game. Looking at that other game in the West, I love this game too. Gonzaga-UCLA. Is is this where we finally see Jalen Clark's absence magnified for UCLA? Or does this Gonzaga team that doesn't quite have as much talent as we're used to seeing, like, do, do they have enough? Even even without Jalen Clark going to be being on the floor for UCLA, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's tripe but true, but styles make fights, man. And Gonzaga wants to get up and down and make it pretty, and UCLA wants to get it down and dirty and play a half-court game. So who can impose their will on the other? And it's way easier to slow down a game than it is to speed up a game. So I could see UCLA finding a way to get their tempo, but can they score enough? And will they be able to slow down and stop Gonzaga in the half-court too, which isn't easy. And I do think this is the game where they miss Jalen Clark the most He's a player of the year in the conference and defensive player of the year in the conference, second leading scorer. This team, again, struggles to score, so they liked to score off their defense or they got a lot of deflections, took you out of rhythm. He was their main dude to do that. He's, you know, he's out. Chris Singleton, supposedly, he had an ankle injury, their best shooter. He's supposed to play. We'll see if he's 100%. Obviously, Dembona is still battling his injuries, but he was he's played and played pretty well uh, in the one game he played last weekend. So I think there's a, there is a, a question of health for UCLA and a question of tempo for the game overall. I think Gonzaga wins the game. I think they'll be able to execute enough in the half court. I don't think Mark Few's crew has gotten the love. They're a, good, they're a very good college basketball team. 
the thing that people are, are conflating as not being good is, yeah, they don't have a one-and-done guy, which they've had the last two years. They haven't had – those are special players. Those are unique teams. He had a team that you literally – that one year with Gonzaga and Baylor, we just penciled them in to the final and then filled everything else out around it. It didn't matter. But that's not normal. And I think this is a normal three-seed, very good college basketball team with a stud inside. Andrew Timmy, a pro in Julian Strother, and other good, really good guards uh, and wing players that can win this game. I think they do. They also favor. Um, they are also the underdogs. I'm trying to take them on the money line, but I think it's going to be a very tight one possession game. I'm just leaning Gonzaga. Uh, just quickly, a little off topic, but UCLA. It's good to see them uh, back and and having a good squad. What do you? How are they going to mesh in the Big Ten? What's that going to look like? Is that going to be good for their basketball program? Man, Teddy, I haven't, I haven't even thought about that. In all, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, the thing about the, what would be interesting, the way they play in terms of slowing it down, grinding the pace, they fit in the Big Ten in that way. They might maybe have some access to some more high-level athletes. But you, you look at the last three years of the Big Ten. Um, they have had terrible success in the NCAA tournament. I've said this a number of different times. This year they have eight teams. One team gets out of the first weekend. I think it was two years ago they had ten teams. One team got out in Michigan, I think. Um, last year was very similar ratio we're talking. And, and the issue here is they play a, a – a, Brand of basketball is pretty antiquated now. Slow, half-court, plotting bigs, limited athleticism on the wings. And when you have some of those special players, they really pop. The Johnny Davis is from Wisconsin last year. Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Those guys really pop, and they're very good players. And they may be able to take you kind of far in the tournament, but they don't have the full team, the full complement. So if you're UCLA, you do not conform to the Big Ten. You try to do what you've done, transport it over there. If you don't win the Big Ten, I would say get to the point, who cares? You, I would try to build a team that's capable of winning the tournament. So if I was trying to play in the Big Ten, I would look at how do I get five out and how do I get a versatile five-man to, to, to step out and, be, and play with pace and space and play a more modern basketball. And you may take some lumps. You'll take some losses in conference. But I do think that sets you up better to compete with the SECs, the ACCs, the Big East, the Pac-12 when you get into the Big, into the big Dance. So that's my approach if I were the Big Ten versus continuing to do what may win in that league but doesn't translate more broadly. I. I think that's a tremendous point. Okay, looking at Friday's slate, San Diego State, Bama. San Diego State's old, man, but you you think they got a chance in this one? Um, I just don't think they can score enough. They're gonna they're the same thing. They're gonna grind the tempo and they're gonna they're gonna wear on you. They're gonna be physical with you. The question is again how that game is officiated because there is a recipe, as I already said, to beating Alabama, especially slowing down Brandon Miller. You've got to get up in him. He's got to feel you every single possession. And not miss, just wear on him. And it makes it hard for him to get to the spots he wants to and be comfortable and play in a free-flowing, free-flowing manner. That's a way to beat Alabama. They give you that. I don't think it's score enough at their end. In Alabama, we continue to not talk about We talk about the three-point shooting, get to the free-throw line, driving ability, the modern basketball, you know, free-throws, threes, layups is how they play offense. Well, defensively, they're elite. They're top 10 in defensive efficiency. They, they've got great athleticism on the wings. They've got great versatility. They've got rim protection. They've got everything you want. So they can really make it hard for a San Diego State team that can already struggle to score to score. So I think ultimately, I don't love the, the number. Is, I believe it's, it, is it seven or nine? Was it, I think it's seven still, maybe nine now. I don't know. But I, I was, it's way more than I want to lay in a game that may be low possessions. But I think Alabama does win rather comfortably, though. It's been impressive how, how good they've played considering all the distractions and conversations mm-hmm. going on around them. Uh, Princeton and Creighton. I Princeton's been a fun little story to watch. Uh, what do you think about this game? I mean, as much as I don't like Princeton, I'm very I was about happy say, to watch Columbia it. guy. I can't <laughs> imagine my, a Columbia right guy. We got the, the light Princeton. blue on for me and everything. Um, well, that's just more about jealousy. There, I think I was one in seven in my career against them. We lost like four overtime games, so there's a little bit of bitterness I'm carrying 20 years later. That's healthy. <laughs> um, in, in, in terms of 
the game I always want, I want them to, I want whoever our league representatives to play well. So it was fun to see them against Arizona, not even play well and just out tough Arizona and win that game, beat them on the boards, make the right plays defensively down the stretch, Missouri. I thought they would struggle with the athleticism and the pace a little bit and the ability for Missouri to turn people over. They dominated that game, completely controlled it. They're getting 10 points against Creighton. I'm taking my 10 with the Tigers. We're going to keep on rolling here. I don't think they win the game, but Ryan Kalkbrenner, who is a star for, for Creighton, their big man, when he can struggle when you pull him away from the basket. And now Tosana Woma is a name people now know from Princeton. He was league player of the year last year, first team All-Ivy this year. 6'8", six, 6'9", six, he, he's a point forward. He leads the league in assists. He's going to be bounce, off the bounce, trying to finish around the rim, kick out the shooters. Everything kind of runs through him. So Kalkbrenner is going to be playing away from the hoop a lot, and that makes it a little more hard for him to be as impactful in the game. Um, and I do think that they can maybe exploit an advantage there and stay in that game and keep it close. I really do like Creighton's team. I liked them since last, since when they started getting Kalkbrenner back in January. I uh, had him at a plus 1,200 Final Four ticket. So if that hits, your boy will be pretty happy about that. Um, nice. but, but we'll see. I still like their team a lot. I just like the 10 points. I, I think Princeton's playing well enough to keep it from getting blown out. Yeah, that, that makes sense, man. I, I hope it's close just because I, yeah. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Now, the other region in action on Friday, the Midwest, Miami and Houston. Does Do you think, can Miami compete on the glass with Houston or are they just going to get pounded on the boards? That, that's, that's what Houston does, man. That is the key. Uh, and you actually saw North Shadow Mirror. He demoralized Trace Jackson Davis in that game against Indiana. Like he got what, eight offensive rebounds, 17 for the game. Um, it just was quicker to every ball, reading it in the air. And he's got guards around him. Those, there are always four guys on Miami's team that can go get you a bucket. That is abnormal in college basketball. So that's tough. Now, Houston's a great defensive team, and they got a number of guys that can get you buckets the other way. So this is going to be a, a great matchup, but it does come down to the boards. You're right. Miami has to clean it up, has to allow it to be one and done. And they need to push pace. They want to get that ball through and go the other way and score and try to score before Houston's defense is set. So that is the battle is can you rebound, not just to not get scored on, but that's going to help their offense critically. Um, Houston's fourth in the nation, offensive rebounding rate. So Miami's got to stand tall. It's not just North Shadow Mirror. It's got to be everybody. Jordan Miller and Isaiah Wong, they've all got to stick their nose in there and get rebounds. But on the other side, too, Houston's not a good defensive rebounding team. They're 151st in defensive rebounding percentage. So they'll give it to you on the offensive side. On the defensive side, playing in a weaker American conference, they gave up. Quite a few second chance opportunities. Maybe a place for Miami and North Shadow Mirror to gain some hay as well. So the, the boards will be so critical in this game on both ends. Xavier in Texas. Um, Texas with a lot of athleticism. How do you think Xavier contends with that? Real quick, Miami's getting seven points. I do love those seven points stuff. Just want to toss that hey. in there as well. Uh, I, I love Texas, how you're just tossing your yeah. bet at just the very people, end. Just, just letting people know. Just letting people know. Analysis bet. Analysis, Analysis bet. bet. Boom, I love or, it. Or, or, or no bet. Or I'm going to lay up. Show trying to show some discipline in some of these games. We don't need to bet them all. That, that's, that's a lot. They teach that, lie, they teach we're, we're, that <laughs> discipline at Columbia. Look at yeah, you. They do. Yeah, they do. Wait till, we, wait till we're middle of the games with live betting left and right. But anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. Um, the Texas Xavier game, Xavier without Zach Fremantle, still they figured out how to play without him, and they've been, they've been good. Their draw, I think, helped them in this tournament to this point. I think Pitt was gassed last game, and as Pitt even came back, just didn't have enough. And, and Xavier was a better team. Texas's defense is going to be the problem here. Xavier's very much guard-oriented. They're going to want to score. They want to play a kind of open game. Texas is, is – Roddy Terry's done a great job of at times extending their defense to press and speed teams up. You saw them do it against Kansas a couple – last two times they played and make Kansas – take Kansas out of rhythm. They've got physical guys. They've got adults, man. They've got a lot of grown-ups, a lot of third, fourth, fifth-year guys um, that have been around and played at different places. And, and, you know, despite the adversity they went through, this is their time, they feel um, – so I think defensively, that's going to be a bit of a problem for Xavier. And then defending 
for Xavier has been an issue all year. They, it's kind of optional at times. I think Texas is going to be able to punish them, score, win that game. I do like Texas minus four in this game. I think they control it on both ends and, and win by maybe six or seven. All right, man. I love that. That's that's all eight games. Just knocked them out quick. Now, you got time for a Final Four prediction? Who do you got? What do you think? Uh, I, I, I'm going to stick with my, I have three of my four from before, so we're sticking with that. So we have Alabama, Texas, and Gonzaga were the three that are still alive. Uh, out of the East now, I'm going to take Kansas State to emerge there. Alabama beats Kansas State. Texas beats Gonzaga. Alabama-Texas final. Crimson Tide will find a way to, as Teddy's point, manage, continue to manage all the off-the-court stuff, which is far more important but hard to compartmentalize. I think they find a way to do that. And they're the most dynamic team, and they show that uh, and end up winning. Nick Saban just just eviscerated Nate Oates. That was great. Just, that just was great. tossed wow. some fuel on that fire, man. Well, that's his program, bro. He's like, he's like, I helped build. I built this thing. People know a lot. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're tearing my name down. I'm going to come out here and say something. So I respect that. Oh, Dallin, you're the best, man. You've been you've been doing an awesome job all season long. I even though we haven't done radio together in a while, I just I see your face so much. I'm like, I know that guy. It's like, it's like. <laughs> You're the band, I appreciate dude. it, appreciate guys. The appreciate time. the kind words. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the rest of the tourney. I know we haven't been probably as into March Madness with OU not being in it, but, man, that dude knows some ball. Yeah, awesome stuff. I needed that breakdown, actually, for uh, for some viewing uh, over the weekend, so that's awesome. He's always tied into everything that's going on. Fantastic. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics where they've won over 100 state championships, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Cam Newton, maybe, you know, goes out and throws at Auburn's Pro Day, which was really cool. Um, everyone remembers him winning the Heisman there, national championship. And Could have gone to OU if Josh Heupel would just told him he was going to be the starting quarterback. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, that's awesome. Um, and anyone that's like, oh, that didn't happen. He told me that to my face on what, his visit. Were- 
at a party, right? You guys at a party at Trent Rattery's house. I'll never forget it. Okay. I was just like, why didn't hype just lie to him? Just lie. Just say you're going to be the guy. Oh, that's so funny. Um, <sighs> but he goes and throws at Auburn's pro day. And I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw some highlights and he looked good, which, you know, any quarterback of his caliber should look good in a situation like that. But, you know, it does bring up an interesting question. Like, I what do you say? I know there's not 32 uh, MFers better MFers than me. better than me. I think he's right. Um, and it, it's an interesting question with some of the, the, the kind of musical chairs that are going on out there at quarterback and some teams like, if they're not in a position in the draft, maybe have some guys that, that maybe are a bridge to another draft pick down the road. I, I don't know. It's interesting. It at least puts him back on the radar, doesn't it? If anything, you would, you would assume so because he did have, he did have some really nice throws, right? Especially the one where he's like rolling kind of yeah. almost just like a, a scramble drill type situation. And he's just flinging it. You're like, okay, he's still got it a little bit. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's 32 guys better than him. There certainly aren't 96 guys, right? right? Yes. I mean, the guy should be on a roster. So now, that I do wonder if organizations look at him and go, he he isn't what we're looking for in a backup. Is it worth it? Yeah. Remember, guy guy was the MVP of the league. I. How would he embrace a backup role? You know, that type of situation. I understand that, but yeah, there's not, there's not 96 quarterbacks out there that can bring more than Cam Newton. I mean, I just, I don't see that. The whole thing with him, you know, I'm, I'm sure it still is, you know, he's what 33 now, but the whole thing with him was, was never really about ability. It's all about like kind of where's his head. Is he in it? Is he motivated? Is he prepared? Is is he really on a march to go out there and try and win some football games and and accomplish something? Because like we saw, whenever he did, he was on a he was on a level that was that was really hard to compete with, and then it just kind of fell off. I, almost like he got bored with it, was making a ton of money, and got got banged up. Got banged up. Injuries were were definitely that shoulder was the one that, yeah. but. I think we can all agree on this. We all miss his post-game press conference outfits. Yeah. That's Top where it notch. Really went bad. Whenever he started... Um, the hats got crazier and crazier. He looked more and more like a grandma as he went on. It was strange. But... Really weird. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it ends up working out for him. Right? Yeah. It's probably pretty cool for those guys from Auburn. Right? But... um very, very yeah. cool. That are annoying. You're like, hey, no, you're supposed to be watching me, not not him. What are what are the other? <laughs> That's true. That's Probably true. mixed emotions. All right, who do you have as your loser? Man, that Cam Newton sure looked good out there. <laughs> yeah. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? Nate Oates. How about Saban going to the podium and? Just going ahead and say there's no such thing as wrong place at the wrong time. Now, this is after the Tony Mitchell situation. Arrested, 141 miles an hour fleeing from cops, guns, uh, marijuana, tons of cash. Bad situation. And uh, 
looked like, oh, Coach Saban used that as an opportunity to, for some reason, uh, show who's really in charge of the athletic department at Alabama, right? I that that made a lot of waves. Yeah. A lot. And first of all, I agree with Nick Saban. Right. He finished that off by saying it is what it is, but there is cause and effect when you make choices and decisions that put you in bad situations. I, I completely agree with that. The timing is I you and I have both heard the same thing for a lot of years. There are no coincidences with Nick Saban. He is the most prepared, detail-oriented dude, like control freak that there is in sports. So for anyone that's out there being like, oh, he just said that, you know, he didn't mean it. I don't think that's a coincidence, man. I really don't. He, he, um, there's, there's choices and decisions and he made a decision to, to make that statement. He could have very easily just not made much of a comment about the whole situation. We're still gathering all the facts. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll let you know what's going to happen. Like, no, he had the, he was cocked and loaded whenever he, he gave that press conference. So, and this is, this was my initial thought when I heard him say that. Nick Saban is pissed at the entire Alabama basketball situation and how it has made the university look and has made the athletic department look. He has spent years and years and years building up the reputation of that, not not only that football team, but that city, that university, that, that athletic department. And yeah, I think he was a little pissed off that the basketball team had everyone out there talking about how corrupt and awful Alabama is. I, I can see that pissing him off, pissing him off. I get that. Yeah, no, I, it's here's the thing. Alabama's got a really good basketball team right now. Very but good. Whenever, but whenever you see the Alabama basketball team, the first thing you think about is the Alabama football team, right? I, anytime anything happens down there, the first thing you think about is the football team. And that's right. It, you know, I'm sure he is exactly what you said. He's worked uh, really hard to, you know, to turn that program into what it is. And it's not like they haven't had their own issues. Obviously look at what's, what's going on, why he was up there, um, you know, with, with the, the Mitchell situation, but I, I don't know. It's, I'm sure, like, personally, there may be some feelings there as well. I know it's all been boiled down to should he or should he not be playing, but it was so, someone died, right? I, it, it's, a, it, it's a really bad situation. It's not just a should a kid be playing or should he not, you well, know? And also, right, and, and I know that Alabama football is Alabama football, right? But it can't make Nick Saban happy when now he's recruiting and some parents go, hey, what's up with the bar thing? And like someone got shot. Like, is is Tuscaloosa safe? Like, this is that a safe 
is that a safe city for my son to go spend, you know, three to four to five years? Like that's got to make him so bad, man, that he even has to address it, but it's, it's very real now. So I, that's what the timing of, of the, the Mitchell situation there on, on spring break is like, it's not good timing. And I, it's probably I, – I, I don't even know what it was like around there before. And Nick Saban's always been a guy that – he's talked about second chances. You know, he, he's he's got some really good stories. Why am I drawing a blank on the, uh, the receiver from Michigan State? Oh, gosh. I'll think about it. But um, gave him a second chance and, and you know, ended up being a, a great story. So he's done some of that stuff, but – they they're probably in a situation right now where there ain't going to be any second chances for a while. Yeah, I hear you. Certainly, uh, every every uh, every sports show was talking about that one. Oh yeah, that was Wild. I I do not believe that was a coincidence. All right, <laughs> let's get to my winner and loser. But first. John Vance Auto Group has been serving Oklahomans for 40 years. Family owned and operated, and they got nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, Guthrie. And no matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way, which is why they have their lifetime loyalty program. And here's how it works. Buy a new or used car from them. All you have to do is get all the manufacturer recommended maintenance done at the Vance dealership. And if something goes wrong with the components of your engine, transmission, drive, axle, or transfer unit, they will cover the repair costs. It's a great deal. You can browse their entire inventory or find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma, tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with you, Ted. I was told <laughs> that Blake Shelton gave you a shout-out at his concert in Oklahoma City. Is this true? Have you heard about this? I heard. I had some friends that were there, and they uh, they texted and said, hey, Blake Shelton just uh, just mentioned you and totally butchered your name. And I told my wife, there's like there's like levels to fame. I'm just famous enough to where someone that's actually famous mentioned my name, but totally butchered the pronunciation. So that's Lehman. Did you get the Lehman? <laughs> I think so. It's all right. It's, it's still I cool. Didn't, I didn't hear it. No, I, uh, that is very cool. Uh, Blake Shelton's awesome. I actually wish I would have been at the concert. Well, yeah. now knowing that he would have done that, no, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Just but. screaming. Uh, I'll be like, oh, it's layman. Can I crawl into a hole and die somewhere? Uh, that's funny though. I, I also thought about going with St. John's basketball. I I know Rick Patino's old. He's seventy, but that's gonna be fun, man. If back in the garden for Patino, I I'm sure some of his outfits are gonna be absurd. I I love the hire because it should be entertaining. 
Yeah. I saw someone put out a tweet. I don't know who it was, but it said only Rick Pitino could be a splash hire at 70 years old. And yeah. it, it is. It's that's been really cool. That's I'm anxious to see. It's been a while since they've been back in the mix. And it there was a while there was in the nineties where they were um, you know, pretty steady, really good basketball program. So that's awesome. Yeah, but my winner of the week, come on. Oklahoma City Thunder, another win. Now eight and two in their last 10 games. Go to LA and beat the Clippers. Now they got a couple more out there in LA this week, but they have finally gotten to 500. 36 and 36 on the season. They are now tied with the Mavericks for the seven seed. They've got the tiebreaker. Said it's, we, I was getting a whiff of playing, right? A whiff, yeah. you know, a little. Now it's starting, it's starting to smell like playoffs. Not play yeah. in, baby. Let's go. It's awesome. And, you know, it's, it's it's kind of what we've talked about. Like, this team is at the point now to where they kind of need something like this to to see what they've got, where they're they're in the fight, they're in the mix. Every game is starting to matter. And I think you're seeing some guys kind of come out of their shell and seeing perhaps what this team could be capable of whenever they do feel like, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There's something that we're play- actually playing for. Yeah, and and looking at that Clippers game on Tuesday night, I mean, the Clippers came out and punched the Thunder right in the face. <laughs> I mean, they were more physical. They were, like, bullying them. But as we've seen many times, it's like that the Thunder settled in. They diagnosed what was going on. They adjusted, cut down on the turnovers, and then they played some damn good basketball. And I, I think Shea was, like, sick or something like he looked, he looked way more gassed than he normally looked, but, and it took him a little to solve what the Clippers were doing to him defensively, but still ends up with 31 and seven. Uh, Jalen Williams is awesome. He's making a serious push for rookie of the year. Paolo Bencaro better watch out. And now everyone's talking about it too. Yeah. Yep. Like you got every, all the, all the big media people that like all the NBA podcasts I listen to are talking about it. And yeah. he dropped dropped a tw- a casual twenty and eight on the Clippers. No, he's yeah. Whenever you start to hear the casual conversations about him, I that's whenever you know that people are starting to pay attention. And you know, I, he's he's become more and more like it was. It's gone from flashes early in the year to where he's turned into a really consistent night in night out player. Yeah, and it's a it's a huge bummer that Paul George got hurt. Like I still, I still think people love Paul George now. Like he, he did what he did in Oklahoma city. And now all the things we got in the trade for the Clippers, it's weirdly made me like him even more, but to see him go down, that did, that did not look good with the knee, but play the game. Torture chamber. Mm. Kawhi, dude, that was like a solid 17, 18 seconds of on ball defense in Kawhi Leonard could do nothing against Lou Dort. That was that was fascinating to watch. He's a wall, man. Dude is incredibly strong. That was awesome. But yep. Thunder rolling, man. Let's get ready. I just we have set our my wife's induction date for for our second child, third week of April. I'm worried it's going to conflict with the playoff series. Could be could be unfortunate timing. Did you talk about that? Uh, whenever, like, you should have said we, we're in a, we're in an eight and two run here over our last ten. Let's we need to give this thing a little bit of time, see what's going to happen. 
to her credit, she goes, what do you think about just doing it right after the spring game? It's like, okay, I love, I love you. <laughs> I-, I love you. But now we got thunder playoff series to possibly think about. Ah, oh, could be in a bad spot. People. All right. For my loser of the week. I thought about going with whatever the hell the refs were doing in that OU UCLA women's NCAA tournament game. That fourth quarter was brutal, man. Now, OU wasn't going to go win a national championship or anything like that, but oh, that fourth quarter was damn near unwatchable with how the officials were calling it. That was godly. And after how awesome that third quarter was from the Sooners, like they, the refs grinded that game to a halt, man. Yep. That was brutal. Yeah, it's tough. Like took all the flow and everything away from from OU's offense, and you know they got off to that slow start, which you know I. I really wasn't worried about it for whatever reason, whenever they got off to that really slow start and they chiseled the, their way back into the game. And I almost wish they hadn't come back so quick, if that makes any sense. You know, if, if they had a, a reason to, to kind of keep grinding. That the, the avalanche avalanche would have been a little slower. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But, but I, I don't know. It was still, still a good season. Um, kind of frustrating with, with, you know, where they ended up being seated and all of that stuff, but still a good year. Yeah. All right, but my loser of the week, United States baseball. Ted, I actually, I watched a baseball game in the month of March for maybe the first time ever. Same. And I was, I was locked in and we lose. We lose to Japan in the final of the World Baseball Classic. Now, I, that situation at, that, at the end of that game, that's that was pretty awesome. Right. Top of the ninth, U.S. down 3-2. There's two outs. And it's Mike Trout stepping into the box against Shohei Otani. Right. Teammates, arguably the two best players in the sport, going head-to-head. It, the drama was real, man. That was that was pretty sweet. I don't know that you could ask for, which, you know, leading into it there, I don't know what the, the numbers have been, but people were st- – thinking that it was going to be the most watched baseball game ever, right? Some of these other games have done like 55, uh, 52 million viewers. And, you know, obviously it's, it's really big world worldwide. And the numbers have been awesome. So I haven't seen if they actually did that, but you basically have the two best players, like staring down at the end, you get the full count. And considering all of those factors, that's the best pitch I've ever seen. Dude, he's bringing like 100-mile-an-hour gas, and then he throws a slider that moves that much. I mean, it's ridiculous. Otani's insane, man. Yeah, it moved a foot and a half, it, it looked like. It felt it like it moved across my entire TV screen. I was like, I almost got whiplash watching. I was like, whoa, what the hell was that? But it looked like it was straight until like the last three feet and then it just took a straight left turn it was that was nuts man i like i said considering the circumstances full count best all-around baseball player in the world in the box like that was that was incredible to watch yeah otani named mvp dude crushed it at the plate throughout the tournament two and oh had the save struck out mike trout just a reminder he's gonna be a free agent after this season did you see that in in the entire classic, no one threw the ball harder and no one hit the ball harder than Otani? It's insane, dude. Crazy. Guys, insane. Now, 
the U.S. did ground in some heartbreaking double plays in that game. What was it, Goldschmidt in the seventh to end it? And then Betts there in the ninth, just 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. Look at us talking baseball in March. What the hell is happening? I know. You got what you wanted, though. What? They 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 cut the lead down. They're right there in the meat of the order coming into the ninth. Like, that's that's what you wanted, and Latani was too good. Yeah, but, hey, we watched baseball in March, so – Congrats to baseball. I feel yeah. like that's a strong win. It was good. I thought the whole thing was good. The whole classic was good. Yeah. On that note, episode 302 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Sunday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. You always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time